first. I can call him. It's all you. Are you ready for me? Yes. Oh, that's me. Okay. <laughs> Very good. I'm right on top of things this morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're on Facebook looking at us or if you're on YouTube, we welcome you and so glad that you've come to join us today. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you mind bowing your heads wherever you might be and we'll pray right now. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this awesome church, for the opportunity of serving an incredibly awesome God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for bringing us together. This is a unique congregation right now, never ever before assembled exactly in the same way as it is right now. And because you're a God who's a sovereign God, there's a purpose for everyone being here, whether it's by way of online live streaming or actually in person. Father, we pray your blessings. We pray that your perfect will would be done. And we pray, God, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you'd have us to see today. Most of all, give us a heart to do what you'd have us to do, we pray. And we ask these favors in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated, those of you that are here in the auditorium. If you're at home, you can be seated. You can stand up. You can stay in your pajamas. You can eat a donut. You can have a cup of coffee. You can do whatever you want to do. You're at home. I want to welcome you all, though, and uh, remind you, next Sunday, the sermon will be a miracle, uh, maybe a touch away. Actually, there's another title to it also, A Miracle Within a Miracle, because there are two uh, miracles that are woven together in a very uh, unique way, and we'll be talking about that, the Lord willing, next week. I want you to pray. Pray for our country. Uh, our country's in a real mess. I think everyone knows that, and I'm not just talking about COVID-19, talking about the uh, insurrection and the problems going on in a lot of our cities, uh, and just pray that God would give us a national revival that God would heal us as a people, and uh, that he would be lifted up and that we would return uh, to him and, and be a nation of morals and laws and, and uh, respecting those laws. So be praying for this country. Uh, members of First Baptist Church, it's really important to continue to give either online uh, or in the mail, U.S. mail, or you can drop it by here either way. But we're so thankful for those who are being so faithful. If you need something, let us know. If uh, you need someone to do some shopping for you or you're in a situation that uh, you just need some help, we've got people who have volunteered to help you, so let us know. And uh, we have not been having bulletins to hand out because of COVID-19 for, my goodness, now how many weeks is it? 20, 21, 22, whatever it is. But I've been reading each week what would have been in the bulletin article if we'd had a bulletin to hand out. So here it is for today. We have been here before. It can be very unsettling to read or listen to the news on a daily basis. Riots, fires, murders, looting, anarchy, all of these things are happening in many major cities of our nation on a daily basis. I would never have believed it could go on unabated for so long, nor would I have believed mayors or governors would either stand by or even support such criminal behavior. This is not the first time lawlessness is paraded in our streets. I got to thinking about that. In my lifetime, there was violence associated with the battle for civil rights back in the mid-60s. The Vietnam War protests came. Then there was the mayhem at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago in 1968. Kent State uh, erupted with uh, violence and a series of other events sparked by civil unrest due to police actions have occurred over the last few decades. So we have been here before, have we not? We've lived through situations like this. I don't know that we've ever had such a socialistic bent um, media presence before. 
I don't know that we've ever had such a one-sided presentation of the news before. I recently viewed, I'm back on my bulletin article, I recently viewed some documentary films about the lives of Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant. I'm also reading a book on the political life of Texas and New Mexico in the years immediately after the Civil War. It would seem from these sources that unrest, indeed political violence, has been too much a part of the fabric of our history. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. <laughs> Are we living that now or not? They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate that which is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And then his closing words in that chapter were, stay away from people like that. I like that we sang about, uh, we'll fly away one day, talking about the prophetic uh, event that will occur that's called the rapture when true believers will be caught out of this present world. Uh, and in the book of Revelation, not only talks about that, but about other end time events. And it closes with this, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And I say today, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for being here today. Let's stand as we continue to worship the Lord in song.
Thank you, praise team. Thank you so much. You may be seated in the congregation. And if you're watching online, boys and girls, or maybe if you're in the very back outside, boys and girls, or anyone else, uh, this is the time of the service. It's always one of my favorite times when I talk to the boys and girls for just a minute. So if you're at home, kind of scoot up close to the uh, computer or the iPhone or the iPad or whatever it is. And everybody else, you can turn to John chapter 5. I'll be there in just a minute. The Gospel of John chapter 5. Boys and girls, we learned the last couple of weeks that God created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. I wonder... I wonder if they were handsome. How many think that Adam was handsome? Let me see your hands. All right. How many think that Eve was beautiful? Let me see. How many wonder what color eyes they had, huh? Did they have blue eyes? Did they have brown eyes? Did they have hazel eyes? I don't know. I wonder uh, if, they were, if Adam was really strong. I, I, I do know this. I know they didn't evolve from monkeys or birds or fish or grasshoppers, or earthworms, God created Adam in his own image and took from Adam bone and flesh and made Eve. So that's how Adam and Eve got here. They're our very first parents. They're like our great, 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 so on and so forth. Grandparents, all right? And so they're the ones who started it all. And guess what God provided for them, boys and girls? Everything. Everything they needed. The temperature was perfect. The animals were tame. The snakes didn't strike them. The lions didn't eat them. All the animals were tame. Water was readily available. I guess they probably made a shelter of some kind. Now, they didn't eat meat. Sorry, boys and girls. No hot dogs, no hamburgers in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were there. But they ate from all of the other trees in the garden every single one of them except for one of them. Of all the trees and all the vegetables and all the plants, God said you can eat freely, but there's one I don't want you to touch. I don't want you to eat it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. Now, boys and girls, this is a quiz. Guess which tree they wanted to eat from. Hmm? Anybody have an idea? Hey, when our firstborn little girl was probably, I'm going to guess now, four or five years old, probably three or four, four or five, uh, we would be out in the front yard, and I would try to teach her not to go into the street. I would tell her, don't go into the street. And I remember one day, she was kind of in the street, you know, she was kind of on the edge of the street, and I said, Shannon get out of the street. And she kind of looked at me defiantly. I said, get out of the street. Get up here. So she got, got up here, and then she looked at me, and she went, I don't know if you can see what I'm doing, but I'm stepping down off the curb. That's what she did. Now, back in the old days, boys and girls, back in ancient times, when you had a television, you actually had to turn a little knob to get different channels on it. And I remember her another time, and she would go up and she would turn it. And I would say, no, Shannon, don't turn that. And she would reach up and just put her fingers on the knob again as if she was going to turn it again. Why does she do that? The same reason we do things like that. 
God says, here's the things you're not supposed to do. And so many times we want to do the very things that we're not supposed to do. And when Adam and Eve ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was the very first sin in the entire world. And sin is when we disobey God's laws. Guess what? Every person, boys and girls, who has ever lived has sinned except for one person. Just one person. We have all disobeyed God, and because of that, this world is in a mess. People get sick and die. Wars are fought. People choose to do what they want to do regardless of what God says. But thankfully, that one person who never, ever sinned, his name is Jesus, is the Son of God, and he paid the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that all of our guilt and shame could be taken away. So, boys and girls, let's pray today that God would help us not to disobey him, but instead to obey everything that he tells us to do. Let's thank him for the fact that he forgives us because of Jesus. Believe in him today and always, boys and girls, and you will never, ever be sorry for that. Thank you so much for paying attention. Now, adults, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, waiting for a miracle. So far in this series on miracles, we've, we've studied about water being turned to wine, a man being lowered through a roof, a nobleman's son being healed, 10 lepers being cleansed of, uh, of leprosy, blind Bartimaeus being able to see again, and the centurion's slave who was healed. I don't know how long the people that we just referenced actually prayed uh, for healing or sought healing, or even if they did pray, but I know some miracles take a little while to happen. COVID-19, remember when we first started? Uh, next two weeks, you need to kind of lay low. Next two weeks, you need to stay in your house. Next two weeks, uh, don't, don't be venturing out. Uh, and here it is now, 2021. 20, I don't even know how many weeks now, 22 weeks, whatever it is. Uh, and so it's going to evidently take a little while. How long should you pray for something to happen before you give up? Well, let's take a walk by the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. It says in verse 1, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem. Now, after what? After the healing of the nobleman's son that we talked about a few weeks ago. He had a high fever. He was sick unto death. Jesus healed him. And after that, uh, in Cana, then Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. The Jews had all kinds of feast days and holy days and special days. And every week there was the Sabbath. And then beside that, there were the, all the other Feast of Tabernacles and Passover and, and the in-gathering and, and just the, uh, the tabernacles, all kinds of feasts. Which one is this? We're not sure. We don't know. We can't tell from the context, uh, but that's not the emphasis of this message anyhow. It doesn't matter which feast it was. The emphasis is not even just healing that we're going to see in just a moment. Uh, this is on the second of Jesus' five visits to Jerusalem, and something else was uh, amiss here, and we'll find out in a little bit. The location in verse 2, inside the city near the Sheep Gate, was the Pool of Bethesda and five covered uh, Porsches. Now, the Sheep Gate, what is that all about? The Sheep Gate uh, and the walls of the city, the old city of Jerusalem, uh, walls were for protection of the city to keep invaders from easily accessing the city. And in those walls would be gates, and the gates would generally be made of wood, overlaid with metal, so they would be resistant to fire, so that enemies couldn't go, 
set the gate on fire, and then after it burns down, then have easy access. So this sheep gate was near the northeast corner of Nehemiah's wall. It was a very small entrance into the city in the northeast segment of the wall near the temple, near where the temple was located. There were 19 different gates in the walls of Nehemiah's temple that we know about, and gates were very important. They were closed at night, and in the day, there was a, a watchtower generally by each gate that would protect and make sure that people, unauthorized people didn't come in. There wasn't any kind of funny business going on. Uh, and the sheep gate was where sheep were brought in. That's why it was named that. There's the fish gate and the dung gate, and uh, you don't want to know about that one. But anyhow, the sheep gate was where the sheep were sold. And so uh, also, and this is probably where the sacrificial lambs were brought in that were going to be offered uh, on the altar in the, in the temple. And it just coincidentally, I don't think so. I don't think coincidentally at all. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and he is the gate to heaven. He is the only way, the only door to heaven. Now, the Hebrew meaning of Bethesda is the house of mercy. So this was the sheep gate by the pool of Bethesda, the house of mercy, with five covered horses. The pool here was a pretty significant pool. Each one was trapezoid-shaped. By the way, they have excavated and found out where this is now. Trapezoid-shaped, totaling about 300 feet by 200 to 250 feet, depending on where you were measuring, surrounded by porches and colonnades. So this was a, a well-known spot in Jerusalem in a well-known location. The situation here, verse 3, crowds of sick people. They were everywhere, everywhere. Blind people, lame people, paralyzed people lay on the porches. They were, they were just all over by these pools. Uh, think of what it must have been like in Bible times without penicillin. Hey, I can remember when there was no penicillin. That was discovered, I think, in the early 50s. Um, but there was a time, no penicillin. If your body, your own immune system didn't fight off infection, you just died. Well, the old sulfa drugs were used for a while, and some, some of them helped and some of them didn't. But think about it. No antibiotics, uh, no erythromycin, uh, no vaccines, no chemotherapies, no uh, most surgeries that are done out were not done back in those days. If something happened internally, it was just too bad. And, and so these, sick pe these people were everywhere because they could get no help. They couldn't get relief. They couldn't get cures. Verse 4, as found in the King James Version, I'm going to mention something about that in just a minute, says, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the waters. Whosoever was first after the troubling of the waters stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now, let me stop and say something here that's kind of, I, I cautiously say this. Not all of the old manuscripts have verse 4. Not all of the old manuscripts. So some of the newer translations don't have verse 4. And they don't have the last part of verse 3. Uh, so is that troubling? It is a little bit to me. But uh, what happens is probably there was a notation that a, that a copyist put in there. Perhaps that's an explanation. That, that the, the waters were troubled, somehow bubbling, stirred. And, and when that happened, then... Uh, you get into the water and you would be healed. I, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than that, and perhaps it was a, a feeble explanation or attempt at explanation written by a copyist at that point in time. The point is this. It doesn't change what happened. It does not change in any way what happened. The, somehow or another, there was some kind of healing associated with this pool at Bethesda. In verse 5, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. We have anybody here 38 years old? No? No? Okay. 
How about online? Anybody 38 years? Yes, okay. You and you? Okay, and you? Yeah, okay. All right. 38 years is a long time, folks. It's a long time to be ill. There's reason to believe that there were many people lying by this pool at this very time, and for whatever reason, Jesus focused on a guy who had been lame. He'd been paralyzed for 38 years. That's almost a complete generation as measured by 40-year generations. For one whole generation, he was not able to walk, and Jesus focused on him. We don't know why. He was purposely by a place that had a reputation for people being healed. Do you think he ever prayed for healing? I think so. Why would he be there? Why would he lay by this pool, having been sick for 38 years, if he wasn't somehow praying to God, God, please take this away from me. God, please let me be able to walk. How many times did he pray in those 38 years? How many times, how many months did he pray? How many decades did he pray? By now, perhaps a lot of his family and friends had given up hope. Let me tell you something. When you lose hope, you're in a dangerous position. There's always, look, always there's reason to have hope in Christ. Always there's reason to have hope in the Word of God. Don't ever let Satan whisper in your ear that it's hopeless, it's beyond whatever, nothing's ever going to be right again. Don't ever believe that. Hope is necessity. Hope, the, the hope I have is for heaven. Whatever happens, if they come and burn down and loot the whole city of San Diego, guess what? I've got a home in heaven one day. My Savior is coming. If they, if they close down the churches and imprison all of the preachers, we'll have jail ministries. We'll have a revival breakout in the penitentiaries. That's what we'll have. But, you know, I have a hope that one of these days we're going to be in heaven and we'll be able to preach the gospel without any kind of problems, without any interference from governors, mayors, or anybody else. Maybe their friends had, maybe his guy's friends had even quit coming to see him because they had given up, because it's been so long. Maybe they talked about, why in the world does he think after 38 years that somehow things are going to change? Disappointment, perhaps, had become a way of life for him. So here's the question. How long will you pray about something God's impressing on your heart to pray about and keep on praying and keep on having hope? How long will you do that? You remember the story of importunity in Luke chapter 11, verse 8? Remember the lady who came to a neighbor and said, I need some bread. I've got travelers who come from afar and uh, knocked on the door. And the guy said, hey, we're all in bed. We're, we're, it's too late. Come, back, come around some other time. We can't. And she kept knocking, kept asking, kept begging. And finally, not because he had compassion on her, but he was sick and tired of her rapping at the door. He said, all right, all right, all right already. And he gave her some bread importunity. Keep on asking God what he's laid on our heart. Keep on having faith that God can answer that prayer. 38 years. 38 years. How long did you pray for Bessie to to be saved? How many? 25 years she prayed for her grandmother to get saved, and her grandmother got saved. I tell you what, don't give up. Here's the proposition now in verse 6. When Jesus saw him, <clears throat> and knew he had been ill for a long time. <clears throat> By the way, you, you can't pull any tricks on him, okay? <clears throat> you can't trick Jesus. He, are, he knew. This guy, all the people laying around, he zeroed in on that one guy, and he said, hey, do uh, you want to be well? Would you like to be well? He had supernatural knowledge of this man. He had been ill for a long time, which by itself made the miracle even more impressive. He hadn't been lame for one day. He hadn't been paralyzed for one week. He hadn't been paralyzed for one month. He had been paralyzed 
for 38 years. And Jesus said, would you like to get well? Now, some of the miracles, so far, the miracles, I think all the miracles that we have talked about in the last few weeks were the result of someone asking Jesus to do something for them, to heal them. This is entirely different because here Jesus asked the man if he wants to be well. What kind of a question is that? Well, it's an honest question. Some people are okay with being sick. You've heard of hypochondriacs? Huh? Sometimes I wonder if, well, never mind. Uh, hypochondriacs, <clears throat> or, or for sympathy? Some, some people, I mean, there's this, there's this mental condition, mental illness that is talked about where people actually ingest or do things to themselves to hurt themselves so that they will be sick, so that they will have sympathy. That's a, an actual mental illness or disease. Or some people want attention. And so they injure themselves, hurt themselves to get attention. Or some people want to escape from problems and responsibilities. And so the illness focuses then their, their mind not on the, the, the malady, uh, <clears throat> not on the problems rather than the responsibilities they have, but rather on this malady that they uh, live with, contend with. So Jesus asked the question, either to give a, look, there's two possibilities that I can see here. He, he asked this question, would you be made well? Do you want to be made well? Either to give a glimmer of hope again to this man, or he was being really cruel. I mean, I don't know of anything else. I don't know of any other reason why he would say, would you like to be healed? I mean, would you ask a starving man if he'd like to eat? Would you ask a drowning man? You're in a boat and he's going down for about the 15th time. Would you say, would you like to be saved? Or would you throw him a what are the, life preserver? Yeah, yeah, life preserver. Would you throw him a rope? Would you throw him a line? To ask the man this without the ability to meet that need would be very, very cruel, it seems to me. But Jesus was well-equipped to meet the man's need because he's well-equipped to meet any need we have. He would not heal him against his will, though. That, now, this is significant. Neither will God save you against your will. Well, if God's a loving God, why would he ever send anybody to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell by refusing to believe, by refusing to accept the vicarious suffering and the vicarious death of a loving Savior who was absolutely sinless, who gave himself on the cross of Calvary to pay for and atone for every single sin we've ever committed, every single sin every person in the world, all the way from Adam to the present day has ever committed, and every sin that will be committed, Jesus paid for that, but he will not force himself upon anybody. Would you be made whole? Do you really want to be well? Here's the complication, verse 7. I can't, sir. Now, here, the word, the Greek word for sir, uh, that's translated as sir, is Lord. But it's not a term of faith in this instance. It's a term of respect. He doesn't know who Jesus is yet. And he's saying, I can't, sir. I can't. Mister, I can't. Sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Whenever whatever happens in the water happened and the healings happened in association with that, I don't have anybody who will help me get in there because everybody around me gets there before I do, before I can. Somebody else always gets there ahead of me. 
Now, we still see no hope expressed here. He's kind of hope, I can't do it. And we don't see any faith in Jesus' ability to do anything for this man evidenced here. Remember, the man didn't seek Jesus. Jesus sought the man. The manifestation is in verse 8. Totally ignoring the man's lack of faith or lack of evidence of faith. I don't know if he had faith or not, but lack of evidence of it. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. A trifold command. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. The very, get this, get this. The very thing the man could not do is what Jesus commanded him to do. Instantly, the man was healed. Now, I wonder, I wonder, did, did the man suddenly feel strength flowing through his leg muscles? Did they get warm and something was different? Did he have tingling going up and down his legs or up and down his backbone? I, I don't know. Was his mind suddenly infused with faith at this point? Or did he receive that after he obeyed Jesus and stood up, picked up his mat, and he walked? Because the Bible says he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. So here, let's look at each of these just for a second. Stand up. The very reason... The man was at this poolside was because he couldn't stand up on his own. He was paralyzed. The fact of the matter is there is no person, pope, preacher, pastor, holy man, uh, saint, there is no person in this world who can spiritually be healed on their own, who can spiritually stand up on their own because we are all sinners. This man was paralyzed. We are paralyzed by sin. Jesus challenges us with the impossible. We who are sinners can actually go to heaven. We who are sinners can actually become part of the family of Almighty God by being born a second time. You're born first time physically. You have physical parents. You're born the second time spiritually by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, his atoning death, his power of resurrection. Then we appropriate that, and we become part of God's family. Born a second time, we have God as our Father then. Sometimes we're paralyzed not by some physical ailment, but by fear. Fear can paralyze us, keep us from... <laughs> Do you ever have dreams where, you, where something's happening that's freaking you out and you try to yell and you can't get anything out? Yeah. You know, what's the matter with me? <laughs> can't yell. Sometimes despair, depression, absolutely paralyzes us. That's right. The Bible so many times says rejoice, be filled with joy. Again, get more joy. There's lots of joy available in the midst of all of the craziness that's going on. I am so thankful to God. I, every day, we, Pat and I thank God. Another day free from COVID-19, COVID-20, COVID-21, COVID-22, COVID, et cetera. We're free. As far as we know, we may have, I don't know, but as far as we know, we don't have any symptoms. We're, we're good to go. Thankful that God watched over us through another night and kept us safe. Thankful that we have the ability physically to stand up here and preach and teach and, and to greet people and welcome people. I, I'm just thankful for the blessings. I'm not going to let the, the craziness that's going on overwhelm the goodness of God. Don't be paralyzed by fear or failure or despair or depression. 
Are we trusting ourselves or are we trusting him? Stand up. He said, stand up. Man stood up. Jesus said, take up. You don't need that mat anymore. Toss away the crutch. Let go of your drugs, your alcohol, your pornography, your lustfulness, your sinfulness, the things that nailed you down before, the things that held you and enslaved you, the things that shackled you before. Put, pick them, remove them so you won't be. He said, take up your mat. You won't be tempted to lie down again. Our habits can be difficult to change. Alcohol, drugs, sex, cigarettes, whatever it is, get rid of it. Prove that you're a different person, a new person in Christ. Get baptized. Join a church. Begin to give. Begin to tell people about what Jesus did for you. That's what this guy does in just a little bit. He starts telling people. And walk on. Stand up. Take up. Walk on. Go forward. Don't, don't think you can't fall back into your own ways again if that's all you're doing is looking in your rearview mirror. Don't dwell back there. The future is in, <clears throat> incredibly bright <clears throat> for a Christ follower who is also a cross-bearer, who is also a self-denier. Look ahead, not behind. The objection Look at this verse. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Uh-oh. But. It's always a but somewhere. <laughs> Call it billy goat religion. You know what I mean? But. Well, I'd preach, I, 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 would, I would attend church, but. I, I would tithe, but. I would tell people about the Lord, but. But to me, buts. Billy goat religion doesn't work. Here we come to the real reason for the passage. We don't know which feast day it was. It's not even important. We know that it was associated with a Sabbath, and that's okay. Um, and what was at stake here and what was at issue here was what can be and can't be done on the Sabbath. That's the real issue. The Jews saw a man. They didn't see a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, who was jumping up and down, carrying his, his sleeping bag home. They didn't see that. They saw someone who was breaking the law. Verse 10, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Are you kidding me? The Old Testament forbade work. They couldn't work their usual occupation. If their occupation was carpenter, they couldn't do carpentry work on the Sabbath. If they were fishermen, they couldn't do fishing on the Sabbath. If they were weavers, they couldn't weave on the Sabbath. They, they couldn't do those things on the Sabbath. And included bearing loads, carrying heavy things on the Sabbath. This is what the Lord says in Jeremiah 17, 21. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or to bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath. But keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your forefathers. That's what Jeremiah told them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Jewish scholars in their zeal and attempts to ensure Sabbath-breaking was not, uh, was not uh, a habit or a problem, defined 39 different types of work forbidden on the Sabbath. I don't know why, that just cracks me up. 40 minus 1. 39 types of work, and they included sowing seed, plowing, reaping, 
binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, cleansing crops, all of these are agricultural related, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing or beating or dyeing it, spinning, weaving, making two loops. Making two loops? I don't even know what that is. Making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying a knot, loosening a knot, sewing two stitches. <laughs> I guess you can sew one. I don't know. Tearing in order to sew two stitches. Hunting a gazelle. What? Slaughtering or flaying or salting it or curing its skin, scraping it or cutting it up. Writing two letters. You could write one, you couldn't write two letters. The Bible doesn't say anything about this nonsense. This is man-made religion, man-made restriction. Erasing in order to write two letters. <laughs> oh, man, I've already written one. I better erase that and write so I don't write more than... No. Building, pulling down, putting out a fire. I, don't, I assume they don't mean your house is on fire. You can't put it out. I assume they mean like a campfire or a cooking fire. Um, Lighting a fire, striking with a hammer, and moving from one domain to another. These are the classifications of work that were forbidden according to the Jewish scholars of Jesus' day. And I will imagine people figured out things they could do that weren't in their list of 39 things they couldn't do. And the school, we had a school at the other church for, still, still have a school there, started in 1977, an incredible blessing of God, educating young people all the way from preschool, all the way up to 12th grade. And uh, we started out an ex a program called Accelerated Christian Education, ACE Schools, and people would do the workbooks, and then they would have to go up and correct them. And so, you know what? Uh, I remember one day going to a staff meeting, and we had about 40 or 50 people in the staff meeting, and uh, they had circulated and given out, uh, Ron, three pages, uh, eight by 10 pages single types, uh, single space type of all the things you could get demerits for. I mean, it's like give two demerits for this, give one demerit for this. If you're making two loops, give three demerits. If you're writing more than two letters, give them four demerits. I mean, they had this, they had three pages, single space of everything. You give. I, so I held mine up. I said, everybody, everybody have your, your list of what you get demerits for? And they all said, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, here's what I want you to do. Rip, 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 thunk. So about the time you make a list of 150 things they can't do, they're going to figure out number 151. What in the world is the matter with us? <laughs> we're just as legalistic as the Jews were of Jesus' day. And I'm going to tell you something. Now, without being legalistic, the church will have enough critics. Okay, COVID-19 lockdown. Do you know we get criticized if we lock down and we get criticized if we don't? Do you know that? I mean from Christians and from unsaved people. You're going to get crazy. I have the temperature set for 69 degrees. It's too cold in here, preacher. We need to have it at 72 degrees. <laughs> Other people, oh, preacher, you need, to, you need to lower it down to 67. I can't stand it. I'm having these hot flashes. You need to do something about it. You can't please everybody. It's too bright. It's too dull. It, we shouldn't have a, a screen, movie screen. We should have a bigger screen. What, I mean, you can't please everybody. You've got to figure out what God wants and do what God wants, but the church is always going to have critics. All they want is your money. Nope. I want your blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> I want everything about it. I want your life. I mean, it's not me. It's Jesus wants your life. 
He wants you to become a slave. Well, they don't pay taxes. Those churches don't pay. No, there's reasons for that. In our country's heritage, God's money didn't get taxed. You don't tax God. Well, they aren't accepting of all lifestyles. Well, you know what? We're friendly with anybody, everybody, and this church is open to anybody who can come. Whenever we get open, uh, you can come. But it doesn't mean we approve of everything you do, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, or, or cissexual. I'm not even sure what that is. I don't know. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't approve what the Word of God doesn't approve of, and if we do, we're wrong. Well, they practice hate speech. If reading the Bible is hate speech, then I'm guilty. Hey, folks, the Bible says persecution will happen. Hopefully, the criticism rather comes from outside. That's to be expected. When the criticism comes from inside, that's a real problem. I know what's friendly here to me. The Bible says to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. If you feel like you, nobody's friendly to you, why don't you make, a, make yourself an ambassador of one? Get your big bads, friend to everyone. Go around when we can again, shake hands, give hugs, give high fives, knuckles, elbows, whatever. Well, I don't like the music. Well, I don't like the message. Well, there are too many hypocrites here. Yeah, there's several at your house, too. I want you to know that. <laughs> We're all hypocritical. We all live in a way that's not consistent entirely with, with what we preach and teach. I mean, I do. I don't mean to. I don't want to, but I do. It's obvious on the road more than any other time. And that's all I'm saying about that. When people start supporting the church, loving the church, going to church, doing ministry, winning people to the Lord, loving on people, they find joy, love, satisfaction, and, and companionship, fellowship in God's house. So the reciprocation, look at verse 11. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, to, the Jews said, you shouldn't be doing it. You can't do that. The man who healed me told me to pick up my mat and walk. So the man defends himself, shifts the responsibility of his actions to the one who had healed him. In verse 12, who said such a thing as that, they demanded. They want to know, who's this one who's propagating a, a message other than what we preach? And the man didn't know, verse 13, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd. The healed man, in my opinion, still has no clue of, what, of who Jesus was and what he was capable of. I think this is the last point. In addition, verse 14, afterward Jesus found him in the temple. <laughs> Remember, this is a feast day of some kind. That means hundreds and thousands of people had come into town for the feast day, into Jerusalem for the feast day. That meant around the temple there could be hundreds or thousands of people, and Jesus just coincidentally bumped into him again? No. Jesus went to him the first time, singled him out, and healed him. And now Jesus comes back and finds the man again in the crowd. And he told him, now, listen closely to what he said, now you're well, so stop sinning. It's, in the Greek, it's a neg negated present imperative. It's a command in the negative, don't keep on sinning. Or something even worse will happen to you. Now, Jesus is talking about the man's spiritual condition. Before, he focused on his physical needs. Now, he's focusing on 
his spiritual needs. Then the man, verse 15, went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, first, that kind of sounds like it's antagonistic to Jesus. He's telling on him. He's ratting him out. He said, hey, you guys want to know who really is responsible for this? <clears throat> but it may not be that. The man had to know that the Jews were unhappy with whomever healed him. Uh, and so he, he didn't say, Jesus told me to carry the, the mat at this point. But he did say, it was Jesus who healed me. Maybe he was witnessing in his own way. Maybe he was giving thanks. Maybe he was at the temple to give thanks that for after 38 years, finally he was able to walk again. Which causes me to remember we should not forget to give God thanks for miracles. And guess what? If we're going to thank God for miracles, why don't we thank God for the ordinary blessings of life? I thank God for my wife every day. <laughs> oh, no. She's going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> she wakes up, and she opens the bedroom door, and she says, hello. And I'm usually down in the kitchen doing my devotions and computer and stuff. And I said, oh, that's appropriate. She said, what? I said, I'm right on Proverbs 31, and there you are. Well, today I was in Song of Solomon. <laughs> That's all I'm saying about that, too. But <laughs> Thankful for the blessings of a godly wife. Thankful for a church that people who love each other and who I love and who love us. Thankful we have cars. We, we pulled up behind a bus, was it yesterday or the day before? And, and Pat said, I'm so thankful to God that we have cars. Thankful for a place to live. Thankful. I, I posted a picture. I, I, I love where I live except for the politics. I love this. It's a beautiful, what an incredible place to live. Oh, and by the way, ignore the critics. They're everywhere. Critical people aren't happy about anything. You know that? They're not happy about them. They're, not, they're just unhappy people. They really need Christ. They really need encouraging. Well, how's your health physically? How's your health spiritually? Do you want to be well? Then rise up. Do the impossible. God will help you. He specializes in doing the impossible. Take up. The mat, get rid of temptation, walk on, get involved with God's house, God's people, and all of it, be thankful to God. He is the one who made ultimate healing possible. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I want to ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. If you're at home, I'd love for you to bow your heads right there for just a moment. If you're watching by way of Facebook or YouTube or you're in the auditorium, do you know for sure, if you died today, before noon, do you know that you'd be in heaven tonight? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your personal God, your personal Lord and Savior who died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and is coming back for you one day? Do you know that in your heart? If you know that, 
with every head bowed, just raise your hand up real high as a testimony. Lord, I, I know that I'm trusting Christ as my personal Savior, my Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you. Put your hands down. If you could not say that, if you're being honest and say, Preacher, I don't really know that. I'd love to know that, but I don't know it right now. Would you raise your hand back up? Every head bowed. Just hold, raise your hand up for a moment. God bless you. Father, I pray for any who might be watching online who don't have the assurance of heaven as their home and Christ as their Savior. Anybody who might be in this building who might be in that same position, I pray, God, that today we would exercise faith in you by asking you to forgive us of our sins, to come into our lives, to be our personal Savior, Lord and Master. God, I pray you would bless us, and I pray you'd help us to do the impossible because you'll take us by the hand and lead us through whatever it is. I pray that you'll help us to get rid of the temptation, the thing that limits us, the thing that beckons us to go backward, and that we would get rid of that, and we would walk on, get involved with doing what you've created us to do. Father, help us to discover, rediscover, I suppose, the purpose you have for our lives. Lord, bless this congregation here and online, and God, help us to have a glorifying, God-honoring day today. We ask in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. As we close with a word of song. Everything's on the altar now. No holding back, no holding now. And you walk your matchless sacrifice. Take every treasure, take this life.
Amen. Thank you so much for being here at First Baptist Church this morning. May God bless you this week, and may God heal this country.